of me in prayer. All right, let's, let's stand in honor of God's word. John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Very truly, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow another, a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your burning heart for souls. Lord, I pray that we would catch your passion today. I pray that we would be transformed, that we would be drawn because of your word spoken to us. Hide me behind the cross and let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said Amen. You may be seated. So we're in a series called I Am. The first one was on Jesus saying to the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him because he was saying that he was the I am of the Old Testament. Jesus is the I am. He is the uncreated one. He's the self-sufficient one. He's the pre-existent one. He came into this world um, as the I am. Then, in John, he fills in what he is. What does that mean for us? And we did I am the bread of life. Then we did I am the true vine. And today, I am the good shepherd. So here we go. Point one, Jesus is the gate. I don't get it. How can Jesus say, I'm the good shepherd, and then also say, I am the gate? Which is he? Is he the gate, or is he the good shepherd? It, how does this thing work? Well, the answer is that the way God has made salvation, Jesus really is both the good shepherd and the gate. It helps us to see um, the Old Testament and and the foreshadows of the tabernacle and the sacrifices. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 22, here we go. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith 
So we've got two things going on here. We've got the, the sacrifice that was made, the blood of Jesus, and we've got the high priest. Jesus is both of them. Jesus fulfills both of them. Jesus is the high priest that every high priest in the Old Testament was pointing to. And the high priest would make that sacrifice of a lamb once a year for the atonement of the sins. Jesus offered himself. He offered his own self to be the sacrifice that would be the gate of salvation for all humanity. He is the gate. He's the, it's the only way you can be saved is through Jesus. This is the offense of Christianity. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And humanity has been offended ever since he said that. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to they're gonna hate you. That, why is this offensive? Because people want to find their own way to God. They want every way to be a way to God. They want every religion to lead to God. We're all touching the elephant. We all, as long as we're sincere, we're all, we're all going to get there. Jesus said, no, that's not how it is. There is a way of salvation, but it, it is my sacrifice Truth is very narrow. One plus one equals two, which means that every other answer is wrong. And so you can be mad about that because you sincerely want a lot of answers to be right. And for some reason, we get that with math, we get that with science, but when we get to spiritual things, we want to say there's no real truth, nobody really knows, and it's just all, every way is, is okay. That's deception. There is one way, and that is Jesus. This is why there is persecution of the gospel all over the world. In China and India right now, they're clamping down on the gospel. Uh, in the Middle East, my, oh my, for years, they've, they've persecuted people. They've, they've, if you become a Christian, oftentimes you get on a list that, that they, they will get killed or, or at least banned uh, from family. And there's just a tremendous price to pay. So... Uh, I get this magazine called Voice of the Martyrs, and every month it comes, and they tell stories of, of the persecution that's going on in the world, of the martyrdoms that's going on, and they, they usually have a testimony of people, and they cross their face out so that they don't get into trouble, but this last issue said this, because what's happening is people becoming Christians, and then they're getting persecuted, and they don't know how to deal with, with persecution, so they train them how to deal with persecution, so here's what they tell people. Do not take persecution personally. Do take the promises personally. This is the strategy. Don't take persecution personally. Je Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul's like, who are you? He wasn't persecuting, he was, he was persecuting Christians. Those Christians were being persecuted. It wasn't about who they were. It was about who Jesus was. It was about the message they were carrying. Persecution. The, uh, the problem, of course, with the gospel and the reason why there's persecution, um, of course, the government wants to control people. Oftentimes, religion wants to control people, and they want people to do, they want to own people and tell them what they're going to do and how they're going to live and and, and Christianity, when people become Christians, they lose ownership. Jesus owns them. They still live in that country. They still serve as citizens, but they're owned by Jesus. That drives them crazy, but it's worse than that. Actually, they don't mind that much if you're a private Christian and you keep it to yourself. The problem with these people is, is they believe Christianity is true, not just for them, but true for everybody, which means... He's the gate for everybody, which means this message has to be shared. This is the way God made. And so the nature of Christianity is it has to be shared. And so you get this persecution, and they're like, you can't take it personal. They're not persecuting you. They're persecuting Jesus. But then they say this. Take the promises and make them personal. To stand up under persecution... 
you need to take God's promises very personally. I am forgiven. I am favored. I am his son. I am his daughter. I am the beloved. He is mine. I am his. You need to be absolutely filled taking God's love personal, taking God's promise and his grace towards you personally. Why? Because then your identity comes from God. And if your identity comes from God, then if you don't get it from people, then people can't take that identity away. When we're not taking God's promises personal, then we try to get our identity from each other. I want you to like me. I want you to like me. I want you to, I need you to like me. I need, I, I can't, I can't handle rejection. They're like, no, no, no. Get used to it. This is the Christian life. You're not going to be the coolest person at work. Sorry. If, you, if you're a public witness for Jesus, you're, you're going to have trouble with the family. You're going to have trouble pretty much wherever you go. Get over it. This is part of the cross. This is, this is part of what it means to carry this message that is not our truth. It is the truth. He, Jesus is the way. He is the gate. He's both high priest and the sacrifice that was made. He's both good shepherd and the gate we must go through for salvation. This offends self-righteousness. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter through the... And it's important in the Gospel of Matthew to recognize this is written to Jews. So this is not necessarily all of humanity, but the Jewish people. This is what Jesus says to them. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The gate, how small is it? It's one person wide. It's Jesus. Well, the, many, are, many of the Jews especially were filled with self-righteousness. This is what Jesus is responding to in John chapter 10. You look at the end of John 9, this guy got healed that was blind from birth, and Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who are blind would see and those who would see would become blind. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, asked this question of him. Are you saying that we are blind. This is, this is John 9, 40, 41. The very next verse is the Good Shepherd. Here's what Jesus says to them. If you would admit you're blind, your sin could be removed. But because you say you see, your sin remains. I can't touch your sin because you're so filled with self-righteousness. This is just how we think it should be. We think good people should go to heaven. There's a religious gene in all of us, and we think the world has got good people and bad people, and we always put ourselves in the good people category. Oh, no, 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 we're not perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm certainly better than so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and guys, A, we're not that good. We're not that good. We're, we're guilty before a holy God. God's way holier than you think he is, and we're way more sinful than we think we are. There was one, there's one way, and that is Jesus coming, dying for us on the cross. All right, let's move on to point two. Jesus is the good shepherd. Why is he the good shepherd? Jesus explains it. When the wolf comes, the good shepherd puts himself between the wolf and the sheep, and I came to lay my life down for you. Humanity had been deceived by the wolf, by the serpent, by the thief. And rather than just wipe his hands of the human race, Jesus said, I will go, Father. I will go for them. I will die for them. I will, t I will take their penalty of, of death. I will die for them on the cross. And the father said, the father asked him to go because the father loves us. He loves every one of us. He asked him to go, but he gave Jesus a, a command. And the command was this, is that he would be free. Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I, I, I lay it down and I take it up. This is the command I received from the father. The command was not, you're going to die for them. The command was, I want you to die for them. This is the way you reconcile them, but I will not make you die for them. You have to choose that. It is, it is the love of God 
God the Father and God the Son that provided the sacrifice for our sins. Here's what, here's what Jesus did on the cross. He chose you over himself. He chose you. He chose me. And he paid the ultimate price. Why can we trust him as the good shepherd? Because he's the one that died for us. Nobody's loved us like that, folks. Nobody's loved us like that. We are his sheep if we respond to his voice. You go through this thing, and the whole thing is about his voice. This is how you become one of my sheep, because my sheep hear my voice. They recognize my voice. They pay attention to my voice. They don't listen to the voice of another. It's all about the shepherd, and, and of course, shepherds do speak to their sheep, and, and sheep know their, their shepherd's voice, and they, they come and they gather around him. So here's how salvation works. Hebrews chapter 3, 7 and 8. The Holy Spirit says this, Today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. This, this passage is three times in Hebrews 3 and 4. Salvation doesn't start with us doing something religious. It doesn't start with us believing something. Salvation starts with God's voice breaking in to our, to our, to our lives and bringing an invitation. And, that, and when God's voice comes, we have a choice. Jesus says, many are called, this is Matthew twenty two fourteen. 14, many are called, few are chosen. Many are called. How many are called? Everybody's called, guys. God loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody on that cross. The call of God will come to every human being. Maybe not in the same way, maybe not at the same time, but the call of God will break into every single human heart. And then you decide. Just like Jesus commanded that Jesus be free, he commanded that you be free. Free will is an awesome responsibility. God's, God's not going to push a button and make you be saved. You're, you're going to have to not harden your heart and respond to him. Today, if you hear his voice. Today, he's speaking. If you hear his voice, don't harden. Respond to him. The Father chooses everyone that responds to his voice. Making him your own. David said this, Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. All of Psalm 23 is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd of Psalm 23. It starts out by David saying this. The Lord is my shepherd. Friends, you've got to make him your own. He can't be the shepherd. He can't be a shepherd. You have to personally make him your own shepherd. You have to be able to say, the Lord is not just my mom's shepherd or the pastor's shepherd. He is my shepherd. And what happened back, Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd's View of Psalm 23, and he tells all about it, that, that every shepherd would have this all, and on the, on the ear of the lamb, he would, he would make a cut, and that was the shepherd's mark. So everybody knew, this is mine. This is my shepherd. So Jesus, to be his, you're going to get cut. How are you going to get cut? Uh, Mark 8, 34 and 35. It, he's, Jesus says to the multitudes, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is the mark of Christians that they have exchanged their identity. The identity you were trying to make, the identity you had in your own religion, your own goodness, your own uh, goals, your own, you exchange that for him. You exchange that for union with him, and it marks you. It marks you as his. The Lord is not just a shepherd. He's my shepherd. And I may not do it perfect, and I may not do it right, but he is my shepherd. It doesn't mean the sheep don't stray once in a while. It means I've claimed him as my own. And here's the blessings of being his shepherd. Number one, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What does that mean? Guys, everything starts with God, with grace. <laughs> he makes us lie down. You, the beginning with God is not you doing something, it's you allowing him to do something for you. We must rest in his 
sacrifice on the cross in his great love for us. And we must rest our identity. Before we work, we rest. We rest. He makes us lie down. The word makes means he requires it. No one's coming in any other way, folks. You come in by letting, by, by, by resting in his grace, in his love, and in his provision. Then it says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The wealth of a shepherd is his sheep. That, that's how he's rich. They are his sheep. They are his to care for. And so his reputation is what is on the line. So God is going to lead us in the right path. That's all the paths of righteousness. The right path. He, why? He wants you on the right path more than you want to be on the right path. God, I don't know what to do. Please help me. God's like, I want to help you. I, I, I want to guide you. I want to lead you. And it'll be for my namesake. You are carrying my name. You are, this is why you want to, you want to make the center of your life honoring God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not my name, your name. That, that's going to make your whole life easier because it's about his name. It's about his reputation. And when you align yourself with Jesus, he is going to lead you for his name's sake. And then, this is a tough one. The very next verse. He will lead me in the right path. Yes. Yes. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You got the picture here? He's leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. He, he's committed to us for his own honor, for his own reputation, and he leads us. Yes, green pastures, still waters, but this is part of it. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And then it says this, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I thought God loved us. God loves you. Why would he ever lead me through the valley of the shadow of death? Why would he lead me in a way where I've got a bad diagnosis or I've got an unpaid bill or I've got, uh, uh, I've got things happening all around me that are spinning out of control? How is that the love of God? Listen. A, he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't leave you there. He, he, he brings you to another side. He's going to test you. He's going to bring you to the other side. Okay? B, what he does in the valley of the shadow of death is he removes fear. This is where you become intimate. This is where you discover his intimate care. His rod, he beats back enemies for me. And his staff, the crook of his staff keeps us close. And this is where you develop intimacy and you, you develop a fearlessness for life. If God took me through that, God could take me through anything. It's kind of like boot camp in the military. You make it through boot camp and like everything else, it's like I can do that. I can do it. Jesus and I can do that. If we got through that, we can get through that. It, it goes in your account. It goes in your spiritual account. Stay in there. Hang in there. Get close to him. Let him take you through. Because listen, the trial is coming to an end. What you gain in the trial, you're going to have for the rest of your life. What you learn about God, what you learn about yourself, you're going to, have, you're going to possess that the rest of your life. Don't waste your trials. Three people said amen. Praise God. <laughs> and then finally, oh, and we did this last week. No, two weeks ago. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. He feeds me. He, he, he's the bread of life. He feeds me. He anoints me. My cup overflows, but it's all done in the presence of my enemies. Folks, we live in a world of darkness. There's lies all around us. We need to eat. You can't miss your meals. Please eat your meals. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're afraid, if you're tempted, that's, think of that as like hunger. It's like when you're hungry, what do you do? Oh, yeah, I need to eat. I need to eat. Use all of these things to, to, to remember, I need to eat. I need to get close. There's, there's food waiting for me. But I have to remember to eat. He feeds us intimately feeds us in the presence of our enemies. And then the good shepherd surrounds us with goodness. Surely, David says, I'm confident of this. Goodness and mercy will follow me all of my life. Because I made 
Him, my shepherd. The good, we sing it. The goodness of God is running after me. It's chasing after me my whole life. I'm going to see his goodness in a thousand different ways. And that's this life. In the life to come, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's already taken care of eternal life. I don't have to fear dying. I'm going to, li- I'm going to live in his presence forever and ever. And I'm, I'm, I'm covered. I've got goodness covering me from behind and before. This is the blessings of making Jesus our personal shepherd. And you'll have a chance to do that at the end of the service if you haven't. All right, point three. Sheep that are not yet gathered. John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus' ministry was just to the people of Israel. He spent all of his time in Israel. He had a ministry to the people of Israel, but it was never just for Israel. He said, there's another flock. Here's his last command. Mark 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew 28, go to every creature. Every, every, I want this to go out to everyone. This is good news. This is good news. I want it told everywhere. He has got sheep from every, every nation that have to be reached. To, get, to, to gain that, though, you've got to gain his passion for one. Here's uh, Luke 15, 4 through 7. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This was our scripture down in Belize. So I, I preached on this eight times in the schools. I feel sorry for the Belize kids. They heard this sermon many, many times. And they heard the story I'm about to tell. So please forgive me if you were in Belize. Um, God's passion for one. It, you, you gotta, you, it's got to be for one. You, you, it, it, nations is too abstract to us. You've got to see how he feels and what he's willing to do for one. Here's what it says. He goes after that one that's lost until he finds it. He doesn't give up. He he goes after people in his love. So to help us grasp this, um, 1998, we were in Montevideo, Minnesota, pastoring, and we brought in a special speaker, and we took our whole family. At this time, my kids are all small. We, We go to... Um, the Minneapolis airport, which is just a maze of, it's just massive, and it's very confusing, and there's, there's just aisles that are running everywhere, and we, we pick up our speaker, we make the connection, we decide we're going to get her a cup of coffee, so we get into this line, and Alice comes up to me, and she says, where's Bethany? Well, Bethany is our two-year-old. She doesn't speak yet. When she said, where's Bethany, my heart filled with terror. I'm like, honey, I thought you had, you had Bethany. And so we started yelling in the airport, Bethany, Bethany, Bethany. Here was the problem with Bethany. She was not going to be able to find us. There was no way she, it could never, she would never find us. If she was going to be found, we had to find her. So I separated us into teams. We all went a different direction. And I will, I will never, I will never forget. You know, you, you say to me, Pastor Tom, what is the big deal? You still got three children. Why, why, why is that one so special? Listen, that's not how it works. If you're a parent, that, that, is, that, is not, that is not how it works. Your love for one child does not diminish the another. And they all need to be home. And I, I went, there was nothing I would not do to find Bethany. And I'm, I'm going down this aisle, this aisle, that aisle, that aisle, and then all of a sudden I see this little, little girl walking away from me. And I scooped her up. 
and the joy that I felt in finding her. It's some of the greatest joy I've ever had was just in finding her that day because she was safe again and she was home again. This is how God feels about us, guys. This is how he feels about not just us, but, but everybody. So last year, Christmas morning, we, we did the Christmas Eve service here, went to bed Christmas Eve night. Early that morning, I had a dream, and here was the dream. I'm in this very plush living room. The carpet's about that thick, and the chairs are just really, really nice, and I'm praying with some older saints, and, and we're praying, and I hear what I'm praying. Here's what I pray. I pray, Father, your power and your provision are in your call. You, you called Samuel. You called Jonah. You called David. And that's where I am in the prayer. And one of the ladies that I'm praying with stops me in the middle of the prayer. She says, what do you mean by that? What do you mean that God's provision and power are in his call? And I'm, st- I'm, I'm going to answer her. And I look up, and there's a world map on the, in this living room. There's a world map. And I say to her, What God feels when he looks at that map is different than what you feel. You just just see a bunch of countries. God sees every lost person in every one of these countries. He feels their lostness. And I said, when God looks at this world map, he sees something different than what you see. You see lines, and as Christians, you see obstacles. You see, this place is really hard to reach, and this place is really hard to reach, and I hope I don't get sent there because that's really hard. And that's not how God sees. When God sees the world, here's all he sees. He sees his will and his ability to reach people. And then I wake up. It's Christmas morning. What was it about? I think it was about the American church. There was no condemnation. We're praying. We're in a prayer meeting. She's asking a good question. It's just, it's just very easy, isn't it, in America to insulate ourselves with our own comfort to insulate ourselves from the pain of the rest of the world and make it just about us, just about our little group. And guys, God's passion is for the whole world. God is passionate. So the title of our missions, passion, uh, our missions conference is this, His Passion, Our Purpose. This is, this is how you get passion. This is why we bring the missionaries home. We want you to meet them. We want you to hear their stories. We want, this is how our hearts work. They get enlarged when they hear people that are going, people that are doing something, people that are stepping out. When you hear about how other people are living and, and testimonies of how different people got saved, it, it builds your passion. This is why we send our youth to Belize. We want them to feel it. We want them to catch that passion and then refocus the purpose of their life around God's passion. And and so this is young adults and women and men. We, we, we try to connect ourselves as Americans. Guys, there's no guilt for being American. I love America. I love our privileges. I love our rights. I love the prosperity of America. I love our conveniences. But folks, let's recognize this. The great temptation of America is to fall asleep. We've got rights. Don't we? We, there's very little persecution. You might not get invited to a party. Whoa. <laughs> we're, meet, we're meeting here today. There's nobody waiting for us outside. There's no spies here today finding out what I'm preaching on so that there's going to be something painted at my house afterward. That, that's just not, that's not America. Thank God we live in America. But God wants us to catch his passion for the whole world, for every soul. All right, point four. The price we pay. So we're at the men's retreat, and uh, Marcio shares uh, just a little 
from the text about the guy that was paralyzed and the four friends that got him and, and they couldn't get into the house, so they went on the roof and they, they lowered him and Jesus saw the faith of these four men that were taking him and, and this paralyzed guy, uh, Jesus said, I forgive you your sins. He got forgiven and then he got healed. And we're at the altar afterwards. We're all just waiting on God and it just comes so strong to me that there are people paralyzed out there. They can't get to Jesus themselves. They're paralyzed by a wound, by, by bitterness, by, by pride, by there's a thousand reasons why people get paralyzed and they can't get to Jesus themselves. And these four guys, they were so excited about the goodness of God and of, of Jesus that they're like, we're going to get you to Jesus. I don't care what it takes. We're going to get you. And they got him into the presence of Jesus. And he got forgiven and he got healed. And what I thought about was this. What do you think the rest of his life was? You know what I think it was? I think he went around trying to find people that couldn't get to Jesus himself. And he got, he's just like, you need to get in his presence. My life was radically changed. I don't do church. I don't do, no, 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 don't worry about it. This isn't your faith. This is my faith. You need to come. You need to experience this. You need, and and they, they took him. And they paid a price. And I believe that he ended up with a ministry of trying to get other people in the presence of Jesus where there was forgiveness and healing. And then I started thinking about this. Oh, my. A lot of people paid a price to get me in the presence of Jesus. I was one of the paralyzed ones. I was so filled with myself in college. I was not looking for God. I was not looking for Jesus. I was doing my own thing. And people started talking to me. People got past the fear of man. People got past my opinion of them. And they started talking to me. And because of that, I got into, they got me finally into the, I don't know how it works, but he got me close enough that I could receive forgiveness and healing and I just want to spend the rest of my life doing that for other people. I want our church to do this. I want us to, to get other people that God loves into the presence of Jesus. The problem, of course, with, with Bethany, I could, just, I could just scoop her up. And with God, he doesn't just scoop people up, does he? He speaks to them. And they could say, no. Oh, okay, you don't want to be safe. No, no, that's not how it works. God's like, okay, you're not listening to my voice in that, in that way, so I'll speak louder. Next voice you're going to hear is authorities. I'll speak through some authorities. And a friend is going to tell you, please, you're making a bad choice. Do this, do that. What, none of your business. Oh, it is their business if God told them to talk to you. And then, of course, you're not listening to friends. You're not listening to God's inward voice. Job says God speaks one way and then another, though men might not perceive it. So you're not listening to the inward voice. You're not listening to the voice of authority. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. Oh, well, then it's over. No, no, no. Jesus actually runs all circumstances. He can speak really loud through circumstances. And, and not just failure. He speaks very loud in success. Sometimes people... Uh, you know, if, once I get this house, I'll be happy. If I did this the house of my dreams, then I'll finally be happy. And then they get that house, and they're like, I'm not happy. They, there's a whole study out on CEOs that commit suicide because they spent all of their life climbing, 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 and then they get to the top, and they're like, oh, my, there's nothing here. There's nothing here but emptiness. We need to see the lens of our life through God speaking. God is crazy about you. God loves you. This hat, why, why did this happen? Why did that happen? Listen, he's speaking. And he's going to honor your freedom. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Respond to him. Respond to him. You're here today. I know he's still speaking to you. You wouldn't be here today. There's no way you would be here today if God wasn't still speaking. And what happens is when we start responding 
to his voice. His voice becomes the, the culture we live in and, and we, we long. And then we immediately recognize that's the wrong voice, that's the wrong voice, that's the wrong voice. And you don't even have to like, we're all huddled up in church because the world's so evil. But no, Jesus says, no, no, your security is in the relationship. You, they will go in and out and find safe pasture. They're not all in the pen hiding in fear. They go in and out and find safe pasture. Their security is in me. All right. Romans 10, 13 through 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is how great the cross is, guys. Jesus has already done all the hard work. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So there are people in this world that are hard to reach. And God loves them and God calls people to go to them. But they can't go unless somebody sends them. It's like this. One missionary explained this to his missions committee. He said, listen, the lost, I can hear the cry of the lost in a dark pit. I need to go to save them. But I can't go and save them unless you hold the rope. I'll go down into the pit. I'll risk my life. But I need you to hold the rope so that when I grab them, you can bring both of us back up. This is what it takes to reach the world. Somebody has to go and somebody has to hold that rope. Somebody has to send them. God calls some to go, and he calls others to hold the rope. So here's what happened last year. We've got a huge missions program, lots of missionaries. They, they come back, and we do a week of missions. And on the final Sunday of the missions conference, we, we, we make a special offering to God of pledges and gifts and we put them in our giving boxes, but we, we, we hold it in our hand and we pray and say, God, how would you have me give? And last year's goal was $225,000. So we, we did the, the prayer. We all asked God, what's our part? Um, here were the pledges and gifts we received. I cannot tell you how grateful I am as a pastor to pastor a people that is so generous, that is so willing to sacrifice without anybody twisting your arms to join Jesus. As Americans living in America, willing to join Jesus and do hard things. I'm so, so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for being willing to make a sacrifice. But it's one year at a time. And so what's going to happen is tomorrow morning, a letter is going out to all of our members that explains, uh, tells about the conference, tells about the theme, and gives this year's goal. This year's goal is $245,000, and there will be a pledge card in there. The reason why we use pledge cards is because most of us can't give what we would like to give all at once. We just don't have that much free cash. But we could, if we could do it over a whole year, we could give more and, and do what we want to do. And what, what happens is, when we have those pledges, it gives confidence to our missionaries that they can plan their whole years. Because they're, 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 they're real people too. They've got budgets and they, they need to know what's coming in. And so um, this is how we do that. Next Sunday, we will have those pledge cards on all of the back giving tables. And... Two Sundays from now, September 29th, at the end of the service, we'll have a pledge card in everybody's bulletin. And what we will do is we'll hold those. We'll hold those before the Lord. I don't know that any one of us could do 245,000, but I think we could all do our part. We could all say, God, what would you have me do? And so um, that's what's coming. I'm doing uh, my devotional that just went out this morning is on preparing a gift, how to prepare a gift. And I'm going to read that and then we'll close. Here's the scripture. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so here's the devotion. In a few weeks, our church will receive a special offering of pledges and gifts to support our missionaries for the coming year. In the text above, a special offering was being received for the saints in Jerusalem, so Paul gives some instructions on giving. He tells us that how we give is really important to God. We're not to give reluctantly or in fear that in giving we might regret it later, and we are not to give under compulsion or out of a sense of guilt. Let's look a little closer at both of these. First, don't give and be afraid that you won't have enough later and end up regretting what you gave. Paul assures us that we can give with full confidence that giving actually puts another process in place. When we give in response to God's call, we are actually sowing financial seed. In 9.6, the verse before our text, he says that whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In 9.8, the verse after our text, he says that, quote, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is a cheerful giver, and he wants us to become like him. So he blesses our giving in a way that frees us to give without fear. And second, don't give because you have to. God didn't save us because he had to. He wanted to because he loves us. When preparing a gift, we are to offer it to the Father because we love him. And we know that our sacrifice pleases him just like Jesus' sacrifice pleased him. Ask God how he would have you respond to this special opportunity to give a sacrificial gift and follow through on what you decide without fear or guilt. What will be the result of our gift? 2 Corinthians 9, Paul gives four results. The missionaries' needs will be supplied. That's 9.12. Their hearts will overflow in thanksgiving, which will glorify God. That's 9.11 and 13. They will be led to pray for us, 914. And, I love this one, we will be enriched in every way. That's 911. Wow. Have a great week, Tom. All right. Could we have every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment? So, maybe you are here today, and... You're on, you're on a wide road. <laughs> you've been going your own way. You've been doing your own thing. And, but today, God's speaking. Today, in his great love and his great mercy, he is speaking to you. And he's speaking you, to you to look at your life through a different lens. Instead of everything that's been going wrong or everything that's been hard or everything, he's saying, I love you and I'm, I'm, I'm reaching you. I'm speaking to you. Jesus says this. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will, I will come in. So if that's you, you're here, you've been going the wrong way, but Jesus is knocking and you, you, you want to respond to him today. It's not about me, it's about him. I have every head bowed and every eye closed because this is between you and God. The reason why I have people raise their hands is somebody help me open my door and I love to help people open their door. So if that's you, Jesus is knocking, and you want to open that door and ask him to come in. Would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? I see that hand. Thanks, buddy. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand up in the balcony. There's two hands up in that balcony. God bless you. you can, and then if you put your hand up, you can put it down now. Is there anybody else? If I have raised hand. Jesus is knocking. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You want to respond to him. I got you. God bless you. I got you over here. God bless you. Thank you. I, I just cannot tell you how it pleases God when we respond to him. If you raised your hand, would you just put your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this? Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm guilty. I know I could never make it on my own. But Jesus, I accept your sacrifice for me. 
I accept your love. Come in. I'm opening my door by faith right now. Come in. Save me. Wash me. Cleanse me. I am making you my shepherd today. And I receive your gift of eternal life. Right now, by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. And then could we stand together? Second call is this, his passion, our purpose. It doesn't work to make your purpose without his passion. <laughs> and the problem, of course, is you have to catch his passion. This thing starts with him, not us. And if you're like me and you don't want to fall asleep as an American, you don't want to end up at the end of your life realizing, I basically wasted my life and was really comfortable and had a lot of fun. I don't, I don't want that to be my end, guys. To, to, to craft a purpose that is his purpose for us, we need to catch a little more of his passion. So if that's what you want, I'm doing it. Open your arms like this. We're just going to pray. Lord, you never told us to bring the fire. You said you supply the sacrifice. I'll bring the fire. You offer yourselves. You position yourselves, and I will come. It says in Acts 2 that uh, tongues of fire came and rested on each one that was there. Come and baptize us in your fire, Jesus. Come and let us catch your passion. First for us, that you are crazy about us, that you love us, that we're here because you, you came after us. You found us. Help us to remember, restore the joy of our salvation. And then, Lord, help us to align ourselves more and more with your purpose for our lives. Lord, we got people in America all over the place that are paralyzed. They're not coming. They're not coming to Jesus. They don't like Jesus. They're mad at God. They're Lord, let us have so much passion that we pick people up and say, you know what? Trust me. He's so good. If you just get in his presence, you will be forgiven and you'll be healed. Just get in his presence. Lord, help us grab people. And then, Father, I pray for the rope. I pray, God, uh, that no one would feel guilty for being in America. We're very grateful to live in America. We're grateful that we're not persecuted here. We're grateful for all of the blessings and all of the rights we have as Americans. But, God, you are calling us to hold the rope for those that are going to difficult places, those who are making, they're answering your call. Lord, call us. We just need to know it's you. Call us to hold our part of that rope. And Father, I pray for the missions conference that it would be a great, great celebration of your goodness, both your power and your provision to reach lost people. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We are going to have uh, ministry teams down here if you'd like more prayer. Otherwise, have a great week.